today on This Christian Life. I am wired to be a rebel. Part of it, I think, is we choose people that suit our wiring, and if they aren't good people, then you're going to go down their path and not even see. I was the friend your mother warned you about because I remember making some friends in high school that my mother warned me about, and I couldn't help it. They accepted me. I was different, and they saw that as good. I liked to have a good time, and they knew how to do that. I wasn't worried about what my parents thought, and they weren't either. God knew and was not in the least bit surprised when I went down that bad girl path. The Statue of Liberty represents freedom. It is also the scene of some lesser-known historical moments, like the time a rebellious young girl named Liz got high for the very first time. Now today, Liz Curtis Higgs is an author, speaker, and cancer survivor. But back then, in front of that statue, Liz was searching for something, for freedom. Not the freedom promised in Christ, but the freedom to do whatever she wanted to do. But instead of freedom, she found chains, chains of sin and addiction. So what I did, you know, it was kind of all the things we did do back in the day. That whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll party, I was so there. I got a license to drive and a license to sin. And I went down that rebel path with joy and abandon. It was the message I was given. Go, go, go. The roof is lifted off. You can do what you want to do. Freedom, baby. For me, it started with little stuff, stealing cigarettes out of my mom's purse, cutting school. But then it it got a little bigger as I got those wheels and I started to get out there. Then it was beer and wine and Southern comfort. And then it was pot and speed and cocaine. Well, then it was men. (laughs) I hate to even say that. It's embarrassing, but it has to be said. We don't help each other if we hide the sin we've been forgiven from. The scripture says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Liz was working at a radio station with a famous talk show host named Howard Stern. Howard was the legendary rebel of radio. He was so bad that he was kicked off the air numerous times. Even when it was cool to be bad, he took the word bad to the next level. But believe it or not, It was Howard Stern who told Liz that she really needed to clean up her act. Howard did indeed find me one day doing a line of coke, and he said, Oh, Lizzie, you've got to clean up your life. The original bad girl of the Bible didn't steal cigarettes or ditch school. She began in the Garden of Eden with a temptation. A serpent promised her fake freedom, worldly knowledge, and the ability to, quote-unquote, be like God. Eve bought it, hook, line, and sinker. Adam played along and the humans have needed a redeemer ever since. What I really needed to be redeemed from was myself, my own foolish choices. Wow, do I identify as so many of us prodigals do with the prodigal son. Because he had this inheritance, he spent it foolishly, and he ended up in a pig pen. Seriously, is there a better description for where many of us ended up? A pig pen. And that's how I felt, that I was so deeply mired in sin. There was no hope and there was no way out. Liz at 26 didn't love herself, didn't have any moral standards, had given up on Liz. 
I'm drunk out of my mind going down the wrong side of the road. Oh my goodness, I could have killed myself and others. Embarrassing doesn't even begin to describe it. Shame-filled, horrifying for me to realize that God loved me through it, kept me alive at many points. And so for 10 years, out in that far country like the prodigal son, till I woke up and realized, oh my word, I'm in a pig pen. What do I do now? I can't possibly go back to my earthly father, and I know I can't go back to my heavenly father, and while I'm trying to decide what I'm going to do, God came running. That's the amazing thing about that prodigal son story. God ran and gathered that son up in his arms, still covered with piggy bits. We have no description of a shower happening. And I'm telling you, God took me right where I was, covered in filth, literally in filth. I'll spare your listeners, but I was filthy physically. It was horrible, real pig pen stuff. And God gathered me up in his arms as the prodigal's father did, welcomed him home, kissed him. And that kiss wasn't just a welcome home kiss. For the father to kiss the son in public was a statement. This is my son. I claim him. He's mine. And that's what God said to me. You're my daughter. I claim you right where you are. Come, let me clean you up. We can't clean ourselves up for God. He cleans us up. It is his word that bathes us and his living water that cleanses us. Not too many months later, God sent two amazing brand new Christians into my life who just loved me into the kingdom. They didn't tell me to clean up my act. They didn't say, you need to believe in God. They said, God believes in you. There was no judgment coming from them. There was no sense of disgust being around me, even though I had a mouth like a sailor and my lifestyle was terrible and I smelled like booze or cigarettes or you name it all the time. They saw past all that and loved me where I was. I'm so grateful. Hebrews 9:14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, purify our consciousness from works of death so that we may serve the living God? Even though God cleaned her up, Liz wondered how a former bad girl like herself would be able to serve such a holy God. Then the idea finally hit her. We usually study the good girls. And I think that's what got me started on Bad Girls of the Bible in the first place. And a wonderful Bible teacher and I were sharing the platform, as they say, at an event. And she got up and said, I'm going to write a book about the women of the Bible. And of course, I'll only write about the good ones. And everybody laughed. And But for me, sitting in the front row, it was like, oh, all these good girls, I, you know, they just intimidate me because I'm so not like them. I want to be like them. They are role models. But the bad girls, yeah, it's the bad girls that I most feel connected to, the bad girls that frankly have taught me the most. So I jumped up and I said to this audience of a thousand women, that is perfect. You write that book and I'll write a book called Bad Girls of the Bible. I mean, it just spilled out of my mouth. The truth is I relate with all of them. And that's why they're in scripture. There is some kernel of their lives that we can connect with. But if I have to say which bad girl I saw myself in, I'm really sorry to say it's Jezebel. She has this hard driving personality. She has a strong need for control. She occasionally throws temper tantrums and she insists on doing things in her husband's place. But here's the thing about Jezebel that we often forget. She was also a strong leader. She was intelligent. 
she was motivated. In other words, some of those terrible qualities that she had, if she had focused them in the right direction, in other words, not to the bad God of the Bible, Baal, but to the one true God, wow, she could have been a force, sadly. She worshiped the wrong God, and that's the big lesson that we learn from Jezebel. When I started to research Mary Magdalene, I realized quickly, oh, not a bad girl. She had issues, for sure. Those seven demons, that was an issue, but not from her badness. It was from her madness. With Lot's wife, her bad for a moment, Lot's wife looked back, ooh, that was a bad moment, because she turned into a pillar of the community. Oh, wait, no. She turned into a pillar of salt. Wow, what an end to things. Oh, my goodness. And left her daughters. Well, we won't even go down that road. That's a terrible story about how they got their father drunk and seduced him. And oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Because their mother was bad for a moment. Mm-mm-mm. Sapphira. Yeah. Ananias and Sapphira. Their story goes together. They were both equally bad. And they both stumbled badly for a moment. But again, it was a moment that cost Sapphira everything. She dropped dead in that moment of badness. The sin, that's Bible code for a prostitute, the sinful woman. Uh, She doesn't speak, but oh, what she does. She bathes the Lord's feet with her tears and dries them with her hair and kisses them with her mouth. Oh my goodness, the scandal. And then she anoints them. It's a remarkable story, incredible story. And may I quickly say, she is not Mary of Bethany. That is a different anointing story. The Mary of Bethany story took place near Jerusalem, whereas the sinful woman is up in the Galilee. They were about a year apart. Very, very different women. Very, very different stories. I say that because otherwise you'd have to see Mary of Bethany as a sinful woman, and she certainly was not. The women who has the issue of blood, the bleeding woman, I love as a woman, as a Bible teacher, to go deep into that woman's heart and to imagine what it would have been like to have bled for 12 years nonstop. She was completely ostracized from her community. She was not allowed to go into the temple. She wasn't allowed to be anywhere near people. And yet, when she comes up behind him in the crowd, she says to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. That is a huge amount of faith. She wasn't supposed to touch anybody, let alone the rabbi. Theoretically, it was against the law for her to touch another person. And I'm like, now, how is this working that Jesus heals her if she's not, in fact, supposed to touch him? Well, her faith is what healed her. He says that to her a bit into the story. The fact that you stretched out, the fact that you walked 30 miles, this is what's healed you. And then he calls her the most beautiful word that shows us how much Jesus loves women. He calls her daughter. It's the only time in the Bible when Jesus calls a woman daughter. And this woman of all women, the ostracized, the don't get near her, that she's unclean, that kind of woman, he's telling everybody, she's one of mine. She is part of the family. She is my daughter. What a promise we get from Psalm 145:18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. So he is indeed near to us. I think most of us might confess that we've been 
bad for a moment in our Christian walks. It might be something kind of big and flashy and splashy that other people saw. Or, you know, it might be that small thing that only you saw. It might not even be any farther than what ran through your brain. It might be a thought that was ungodly. All of us have those bad for a moment issues. So in some sense, we all fall short. All of us do. We have to speak truth to ourselves. And yes, we need to sometimes be hard, as it were, on ourselves. Not judgmental, honest. Honest says, oh my goodness, I see this. It's bad. Lord, help me. I think that's one of the ways we do love others is that we are compassionate with them as we must be with ourselves. No change comes about in our lives by lashing ourselves, by whipping ourselves, by beating ourselves up. That just doesn't work. What does work is love. And we get that. We find all of that in the scripture. We may turn our back on him for a season. He never moves. And the day comes when we kind of wake up and realize his embrace is still around us, and we turn around and face him again, and there he is. Okay, guys, even though we're focused on the bad girls today, this doesn't mean we're letting you off the hook. If you've got a bad girl in your life, well, it might be because someone, not mentioning any names here, has been a bad boy. Sometimes we have to look at the fact that the bad girls often had less than great guys in their lives. And so sometimes it was the man in their life who took them down the wrong path. I am careful to say that men lead us astray because I'm fully capable of leading myself astray. Even in my promiscuous years, I couldn't possibly blame these men walking across my path. I snatched them. You know, it wasn't about them leading me astray. I can't even pretend that. It was me leading them astray, just as it writes about in Proverbs, about the wayward woman on the path. That was me. I am certain I tempted others to do things they wish they hadn't. And that's sad to admit, but it is the truth. If you look carefully all around you, you'll see people bound in chains. There are prisoners of this fallen world, and there are prisoners for Christ. In the Bible, there are the demon-possessed and fallen angels bound in chains. On the opposite end of the spectrum, Peter, Paul, and other apostles bound in chains. And yet, because they were prisoners for Christ's sake, they were ultimately free. God had a plan all along. And God said, yeah, I can work with this girl if she's willing to submit to me. And he knew when I finally hit bottom, I would be. I took the reins way too often to get my personal needs met. I just can't say anything except that I was selfish and didn't really care who I hurt, who I dragged down into a pit with me. Even if we say, well, I've never had trouble with, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, fine. But what are the pits you are likely to fall in? There are pits of materialism. There are pits of pride. There are just so many. And I think if we're going to help the bad girls around us, as well as our own bad girl self, out of that pit, if we're going to get ready for that, we need to be reached by compassion, not judgment. Judging never works. That person who's in a pit already knows they're there. 
they're already covered over in shame. You don't need to add another layer of shame or condemnation. The only thing that gets us out is compassion, love, mercy, and hope. There are so many women and men who are stuck in their past. They did something wrong before they knew the Lord, or for that matter, since they knew the Lord, and now they're stuck in it. It's like, I went too far, I did too much. There's no hope for me, and this is what I want to say to you. There is nothing but hope. We serve a hopeful, risen Savior. And as long as you're still living and breathing, there is hope for you no matter what you've done. Jesus is a chain breaker. He breaks chains of worry and pride. He takes away our shame and says, Abide in me, and I will abide in you. No matter how bad you've been, that kind of love can only come from a perfect father. What can wash away my sin? The old hymn asks. We respond, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And his blood, the one that cleanses us and saves us, it includes both bad girls and bad boys of the Bible. Nobody's perfect except Christ himself. And that's exactly why we all need a savior in this Christian life. This Christian Life is a production of Family Stations Incorporated and is not affiliated with Christian Life Magazine or Plus Communications Incorporated. Family Radio.